I'm riding Sublime all the way down, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. We're back after break. Uh, it's January 4th is the day we're recording, so we are all just kind of back in our offices, our respective offices after New Year's and Christmas and all this kind of stuff, and just kind of getting settled again. We've got some stuff to kept, catch up on, but first, let's do introductions. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. All right, so we've got a kind of a mixed match of things, of just stuff that's popped up over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I, Laravel 5.2 dropped a couple of weeks ago. I don't think we had actually announced it yet. And I don't think there's actually anything on our plate to talk about about that. Um, but we just want to say, you know, Laravel 5.2 is out. Um, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, do so. Um, both Jeffrey and I have been covering some topics on our respective content platforms, and um, I'll be keeping blogging on it, and I'm guessing he'll make some more videos about it. Um, but the thing that has been biggest on um, at least uh, Taylor's in my plates lately has been the the great Linode uh, DDoS distributed denial of service attacks that have been going on. So the rudiments of that are basically someone has decided that they really don't like Linode, and uh, I we have a secret conspiracy theory that it's actually DigitalOcean. Not really. That's a totally a joke. <laughs> someone has decided they hate Linode, um, and so they basically have been doing crazy denial of service for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it got so bad, what was it, like Thursday or Friday or something like that, that basically everybody's sites were down. So... Uh, Jeffrey, were you hit at all? Uh, no, luckily I was on DigitalOcean. But yeah, this is one of those things. It very easily could have been DigitalOcean that's hit. Yeah. Um, it's pretty rough, man. I, I felt so bad for some of you guys, especially like the, the subscription sites that make money, to go basically a full day of downtime. I mean, that's potentially thousands of dollars of lost money. That's, that's insane. And then they would come up for like 30 minutes and then go right back down. Yeah. So yeah, pretty rough for them. I'm sure that this is a nightmare, especially like through New Year's Eve. I don't know if this yeah. was going on around Christmas, but I think it was... It was It was going on during Christmas. It wasn't as bad, but it, it's been going on on and off for two weeks. It's been really bad over the last probably three, four oh, days. Oh, that's so rough. I, I feel really bad for them, honestly. Someone has it out for Linode. Yeah, I feel bad and I'm, I'm really hoping that we do like see them figure out what's happening and be restored and and I got to be honest, I moved away from Linode um, to and I was I was so I was going to move from Linode to DigitalOcean. We use DigitalOcean for most of our sites, um, but it was kind of the whole thing of the, the 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 main server we have on Linode is our you know the primary um, software as a service that we run, Karani. And I've already moved it three or four times over the last couple of years, and I just don't like that. And I was just like ready to commit to paying a little more money, maybe even paying somebody to do a little bit of DevOps for us. And just not dealing with moving the server all the time. So I actually finally committed and threw mine over to AWS. We'll talk that a little bit later. Um, Taylor, you moved to DigitalOcean, right? Yes, I am on the ocean surfing the waves. <laughs> so what was that experience like? Did you run into anything you want to talk about? Uh, or was the migration pretty smooth? So, okay, a couple of lessons I learned during this move. So Linode was down for a few days, actually probably about a day and a half before I started to move. And this was over like New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. And I think it was actually like the second, uh, January 2nd that I decided to move. But the first problem was like my database backups or really my server backups were in Linode and they were in the Atlanta region. So like those nightly backups were useless because I can only really restore those back into the Atlanta region. 
And they're basically bit-for-bit copies of the server, like the entire hard disk. They're not just database copies. So that was the first problem. So I had to wait for Linode to come back up for like this 15-minute window uh, one morning, and I was able to actually get into the box, dump out the database backups with MySQL dump, and you know uh, FTP them off the server or whatever. So that basically was what I needed. I did forget to export my SSL certificate uh, stuff, so I had to reissue my SSL cert- certificates. Um, but other than that, really, it wasn't that bad. Once I got the databases, I think I was fully migrated within a couple hours um, for both Forge and Envoy. So, you know, overall wasn't too bad, but main lesson learned is have your database backups on a different uh, provider than your server host, which is being ddos Right. So, so what did you do specifically? Are you using a service? Yeah, now I'm using Automatic, O-T-T-O-M-A-T-I-K. I guess that's right. Um, that's built by Brian Webb, who you, you might have seen at Laracon if you were there. But basically, it um, can do hourly backups, and it streams them to S3, so it takes up no space on my server, and it uh, doesn't bring down the entire site or, or lock up the entire table um, as it's doing it. So that's pretty nice. And then um, he's also, he told me he's planning to add a restore and kind of so you can restore any backup to a certain server. So that will be nice as well. So that's kind of peace of mind. I don't have to think about it. And uh, it's keep retaining, you know, the last 10 backups or so every hour. So yeah, then I, it's basically just a simple MySQL dump. So I can restore it to any platform and it's not really tied to DigitalOcean or to Linode or anything like that. Yeah, that's nice. I, I love Automatic. I'll um, put a link in the show notes for it, but I've been using it for a couple of months and I've had all sorts of backup and restore issues. And now I'm just confident all the time that I've got. Uh, so what I do for, for our software as a service is I have um, rolling backups daily and hourly. Um, and you can choose for each of your backups how long it's going to last and all that kind of stuff. So I keep daily for the last month and hourly for the last 24 hours um, backups for my main software as a service. So I've got kind of access to it and of course i'm paying for those the storage on s3 but i don't don't really care that much um and it's just it's really really helpful to have that i mean it's just so so valuable and he's built a lot of really cool tools about like the streaming there's one thing that taylor mentioned so instead of if you pay for i think you have to pay the upgraded plan but instead of storing the dump on your your local server and then uh, scping it over it actually streams it directly so you don't run out of store space storage space or anything like that um I, 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 I took advantage of that for um, my backups. The thing that I had to run into is that my, um, when I moved over, I needed my encryption keys and my, basically my environment files. So I had to wait for Linode to come back up for one of those 30 minutes. It was actually a 14 minute stint up. And I, as the, and I had a uh, pingdom telling me when my site came up and the moment I got a text message, I just told my wife, I'm like, just so you know, there's a text message. And when it comes in, I'm going to drop everything and run over to the computer and SSH'd in. And I basically grabbed my environment files and then my, um, what was it? My SSL key. No, actually I didn't need the SSL key in, in, in the end. Cause I just reissued it. No, I did because DN simple takes several days to reissue an SSL cert. You guys were on Namecheap, right? And you said re- reissuing the cert took like five minutes. DN Simple, they've got some manual aspect of their reissuing process. So I asked for a reissue on Saturday and I still haven't gotten it yet. Oh, um, So that's two days later. So one thing I've also done today since uh, Linode's DNS servers were being DDoS as well is I'm going to switch on Amazon Route 53 today for all the Laravel and Envoy or DNS stuff. So hopefully cross my fingers and that doesn't uh, go haywire and all the sites go back down again. I'm trying to think if there's any pieces of my reissuing process or anything else. Oh, you know what? I was so getting my server up and running the new server on AWS took me a little bit of work because that the environments are just a tiny bit different. 
Um, but uh, I was expecting then to move move over to Envoyer and I have to kind of like do a manual process of getting everything up and running again. But with Envoyer, all I did was I just added a new server to my Envoyer project for Karani and then deleted the old server and then I was done. It was amazing. Like it was just ridiculously simple if you have a properly configured... And if I had had my environment file in Envoyer, I wouldn't have even had to worry about getting it out of Linode. Uh, but I we hadn't done it that way. But yeah, that was... That was beautiful. So if you're not using Envoyer, the, there's a lot of great things about Envoyer. The whole kind of zero downtime deployment, all that kind of stuff is really great. If you've got something where you're not willing to let it go down every time you kind of compose or install and everything. But man, adding multiple servers, switching servers, all that kind of stuff was... It took me under five minutes to basically migrate my entire site over. Uh, and the only thing I had to move was the data. And so between Envoyer and Automatic, it was basically uh, painless. So that was uh, something. There's a pitch for Envoyer. So yeah, well, another thing that really saved my butt was I already had another copy of Forge running on a, a DigitalOcean server that I used just for like testing and stuff for um, new features. So I I actually had a copy of Forge that I could use to provision new Forge servers from scratch. Nice. Otherwise, that would have been a total pain. So one of the things that I ran into when I moved was uh, I was moving a much older server, and this app still actually runs on CodeIgniter. It's a CodeIgniter base that has been probably 60 plus percent re- replaced by Laravel components. We'll eventually move the whole app over to Laravel. Um, and one of the things we ran into when we moved over to this newer version of, um, to a brand new server was that it was on MySQL um, 5.7. And we kind of have been running some issues and some of them have to do with strict mode and some of them don't. We still haven't sussed them all out. Um, but I wanted to chat real quick. I, I know that some people have been running into issues with 5.7. Um, I haven't done the looking into it. The, uh, one time I, there's two times, no, three times I ran into it. One of them was I was installing a craft CMS site on a new Forge install. Um, another one was I was taking a really old Laravel site and like 4.2 or 4.1 or something like that. And I was putting it and I ran into some date time issue with defaults in 0000. And then the other one was this code igniter one. So I'm guessing the latest Laravel installs won't run into this, but could either of you guys talk about what is the situation with MySQL 5.7 strict mode problems people need to be concerned about? Do you know much about that? I'd love to know myself because I'm hoping to upgrade the Laracast database to 5.7, but man, that stuff scares the crap out of me. So yeah, the main issue is the date stuff. The the Laravel configuration file for database has a strict mode option that you can just set to false that will basically make everything should pretty much work. The main difference is in my uh, MySQL 5.7, strict mode is on by default. And in the past with like Laravel 5.1 and previous versions, we set the default dates to all zeros, which is considered invalid in MySQL 5.7 if strict mode is on. So if you try to insert a row and don't provide a valid date, like it's gonna it's gonna barf an error out. Or if you try to run a migration even that sets a default value to an invalid date, it's going to throw an error. So, I mean, some people turn strict mode off, you know, going forward just because it's easier because you already have sort of your database structure in place with those kinds of dates. But with Laravel 5.2, we actually uh, changed it to where the default... Um, it just forces you to ins- to insert a valid date to begin with, or you can set the default to the current timestamp, which would also be valid. Um, so we have some helpers in place with Laravel 5.2, and there's actually a note about this in the upgrade guide um, for, for 5.2 if you want to read a little bit more about it. But that's really the gist of it is the date stuff is what bites people the most. I'm going to link the, um, the upgrade guide in the show notes. Um, I think, so if someone was taking an, a, a 4.2 site or just a pre-5.2 site, 
um, the the two options for making it work on 5.7 are one. And, and does that strict mode um, flag in the database settings, does that work in older versions of Laravel 2? Yeah, I, I backported that okay. all the way back to Laravel 4.2. Nice. So way back. So if you're taking a 4.2 or later um, Laravel site, it's not 5.2, you're putting it on 5.7. You got two options. One of them is to add a new key in the database config that's called strict and just set it to be false. And that'll be one way to do it. Um, and your other option is to find, is is it basically to find any places where you've got a date, um, date time and basically date or date time and set it to have a default instead of just allowing it to be nulled out. Yeah, I think, what, I think what you would need to do is in your database client, log into your database and turn strict mode off briefly and then update your default values on your timestamp columns to be something valid. And then you can turn strict mode back on, or I mean, it won't matter. I mean, turn it off for that client session is what I mean, but you can leave it on once you get your default value set to something valid. And I'm looking uh, here. It looks like, uh, okay, in your migration file, you could call like table arrow timestamp. And then I don't know if this is new, but there's a method called use current. And that would just default hmm. to the current. Okay, so that is that's cool, very useful. And if you don't call that, it's just going to be it's going to be like any other non-nullable column. If you don't insert a valid value, it's going to throw an error. I don't know why. I don't even remember why it used to insert zeros if you didn't provide a value. That's really strange. But anyway, that's not the case anymore. Um, is this use current backported as well? I think it's in five point one. I know it's definitely in five point one. I don't know if it's in five point zero. So another new thing in 5.7 uh, is the, the JSON column type. Does Laravel have any support for that? Yeah, Should that so just work out of the box? Table arrow JSON in your migration will make a real JSON column in um, Laravel 5.2. In Laravel 5.1, it would just fall back to making a text column because it, it assumed that you were on like MySQL 5.5 or 5.6. But yeah, in Laravel 5.2, it will make a real honest-to-goodness JSON column. And if you want... If you were using JSON previously and you, you don't want it to be a real JSON column, you want it to be just a, a text column, then you can just change it to table arrow text. That's also noted in the upgrade guide as well. Um, so if is there a difference in how your Eloquent models will handle JSON fields between using an actual JSON field versus using the JSON casts? I'm not really sure. I haven't played with the JSON stuff in MySQL yet, uh, yet really, so okay. I'm not really sure how that yeah, will behave. Either. Cool, but we're worth playing around with and seeing seeing how it works. Yeah, now that both Postgres and MySQL support JSON, it might be worth also having some kind of basic query helpers to actually work with JSON columns. Otherwise, you're basically left to writing raw where statements anytime you have a JSON column. Um, one thing, one note real quick about the disabling strict mode. Um, if you're using Forge for non-Laravel things, which I do often, I use it for craft CMS and other stuff, you're probably going to run to some of these strict mode things. Um, it's a known thing that craft CMS just doesn't work on strict. My 5.7 is strict mode. Um, <clears throat> there's a way to disable it basically by certain settings in your MySQL configuration file. Um, rather than trying to talk that out right now, I'll just write a quick blog post and link it in the show notes. Hopefully I'll have it done by the time we release this. So, all right. So um, moving on. So AWS, um, the only reason I have this here is because I feel like we're, we're kind of at least, uh, Taylor and I and Jeffrey, I don't know what your interest level is here. Starting to kind of delve into the world of AWS a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've I've had good enough knowledge. I mean, I wrote a blog post about how to set up a um, custom VPS on Forge with AWS before um, Taylor brought back the actual kind of you know UI for it. Um, and I've just moved kind of my primary SaaS that I maintain onto that. So I'll, I'll kind of be digging this to world. Do either of you use AWS, whether it's S3 or you know EC2 or Qs or SES or anything else like that? Do you guys use that for anything on a daily basis? 
I use S3, of course, but beyond that, mm-hmm. I would love to use more. It's just so confusing. You know, a lot yeah. of people are like, why are you using these standalone services like Pusher when you can basically just use Amazon for everything? And uh, to me, that sounds great. I would love to. It's just It just always seems completely unintuitive, especially yep. compared to some of the, um, the standalone options you can use. So if there was somebody who would just simplify all of this for everyone, it would be huge. But I just haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I use um, SQS for queues, S3 for the database backups, and then after today, hopefully Route 53 for the DNS. I mean, the the SQS and S3 is not that bad to configure, but in themselves, but then you have to deal with like the whole IAM thing where you have to configure your users to have the right permissions. And the IAM thing is pretty overwhelming at first, and I still don't really have the hang of that. The Route 53, which I played with last night, was, was not bad. It was pretty much like any other DNS tool, you know, create records, select your record type, insert your IP addresses. Um, SQS is also not bad. You can set it, you can create a queue and there's like, there's like seven or eight options you can set on the queue in terms of like the timeouts and visibility and stuff like that. But overall, not too bad. The main thing that confuses me as far as moving all my stuff to AWS is the VPCs, which are basically these private networks you can create and then like subnets um, and that kind of thing. And then linking all that up with RDS and making sure everything is right. Like I would love to have everything in one place just because it's convenient to log into one thing and have domains, DNS, queues, S3 servers. But yeah, I've got to learn more about how to properly set up a real AWS setup because the way forge does AWS is it basically treats AWS like digital ocean. And I think to reap the full benefits of AWS, you need to sort of play AWS's way and by their rules and sort of set it up in a unique way. Like Forge installs MySQL on your EC2 server. But I mean, really, if you're on AWS, you're probably going to be using like Aurora or their their RDS or whatever. You're not going to be using MySQL on your EC2 box. So uh, there's got to be more learning on my part to figure out how to properly set that up. Yeah, I'm planning on. Um, I just decided it's finally time for me to learn and go whole hog on our our um, software as a service. So I'm going to be kind of figuring it as I go. I'll share things, but I know that Chris Fidal is going to be one of my big resources on that. So I'm guessing I'll be pulling him in, and he'll be sharing some stuff too. Um, but I right now what I did was I did the Forge style thing. I basically have got a EC2 box managed by Forge that is basically just trying to reproduce what I had in Linode. But there's now hopefully we can replace our Iron IO queues with, you know, Amazon queues and maybe even our email. I don't know. Um, but basically piece by piece, moving that whole thing into the um, Amazon ecosystem just to see. And the good thing about doing this way is only my EC2 instance is there and it's managed by Forge and everything else is still where it is. So I can hopefully learn each of them like one at a time. Like I'll just learn the SQS well enough to move it over. Then I'll just learn other things well enough to move it over. So um, one thing, one note, if anybody's switching over, just using the forge manage thing, I got bit this weekend when I switched over, I switched to like the two gig instance on forge, which I think is a T2 dot small or something. And, uh, all of a sudden my site stopped working. Basically I got all these errors and it turns out the T2 instances have a reserved amount of CPU cycles you're allowed to use per day. And my site, which is a pretty normal site, um, burned through all of them within the first nine hours. So if you're going to switch over and do um, like a, if you use AWS like you're using uh, Linode or DigitalOcean, there's a little bit of constraint. That's the only constraint I've run into so far, but keep your eyes open for that one. Um, and uh, again, hopefully I and or Chris Fidel will be able to share a little bit about what it looked like to mitigate that. But for me, the fix was 
really wonderful in a way that I don't think you could get out of DigitalOcean or, or Linode very well. I basically stopped the instance because it was down anyway. And I hit change instance size and I changed it up to a T2 large and then I hit start again and it was back up and running in 20 seconds. That blew my mind. The, the, the ability, and I don't have all the crazy scalability stuff or anything like that going, but the fact that I could just kind of be like, oh, just make it bigger, you know, on the, the simplest, you know, I hadn't done any fancy load balancing and that was just it. That made me really excited about the potential of getting these kind of like systems that are built for maybe more needs than I have here. Um, but just like if I'm willing to commit to learn a little bit, the benefits that I could reap could be really, really big. So now will you be spending more on this? Yes, we will. We'll definitely spend more. So out of the box, we're already um, just to get the same box up and running. It's probably three times the cost it was on Linode. But I mean, we're running a software as a service that makes us a pretty decent amount of money. And we were spending 20 bucks a month for hosting. So like before I moved over to Forge, I was paying 150 or 200 bucks a month for managed hosting. So switching to Forge, I was like, so 10 bucks a month for Forge and 20 bucks a month for Linode and that's it. So like to me, doubling my $20 a month Linode cost to 40 bucks a month on AWS does not really worry me at all. But it definitively will be significantly more expensive when I up the server size when I add, you know, RDS, all this kind of stuff. I'm definitely going to be spending in the 100 to $200 range. But again, when I was on a full managed server, that's how much I was paying anyway. So it doesn't really bother me. So, but if you're, if you're looking to be cheap, stay on DigitalOcean, stay on Linode. And to be honest, it sucks for Linode, but like coming out of this, I would not come out of this whole Linode um, DDoS situation and say, don't use Linode. First of all, I think they're great. But second of all, at, after they're done with this, they'll probably be more hardened than digi- DigitalOcean, to be honest, because DigitalOcean hasn't had one it's of these funny. five days of death I was thinking the exact thing, so. same thing. Like once they're through this, they're going to be hardened. Yeah. So honestly, I and, and they probably lost a lot of customers, a lot of money. So one, you know, y'all, once they get through this, go go sign up for some Linode servers. Give them a little love. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, I've been running Forge on Linode for the past year and a half, and I've never really had any kind of like sizable outage of more than a few minutes at the most. So uh, really it's been pretty good up until this like, you know, hellhole of a DDoS they had over Christmas and New Year's. Well, yeah, it's one of those things you, you can feel bad about leaving them, but it's like you have no choice. Yeah, you I can't have just have Forge up. and Envoyer down for multiple days at a time. Yep, that's exactly what it is. All right, so one more, two more things on our plate. One of them is that Vim... So uh, Jeffrey and I have both kind of been jumping back into Vim recently, and Jeffrey's much more of a Vim pro. I actually learned a decent amount. So I, my, my brother had a server back when I was in middle school, and he let me host my websites there, but he would, he would not give me... I forget. He basically wouldn't give me FTP access or something because he wanted to force me to learn Vim in the command line. So I learned enough Vim <laughs> to like write out. I know, That's but it was, I'm thankful for it though. I'm thankful for it. So I learned enough Vim to just kind of get around. And two or three times since then, I've tried to like go all all in on Vim, and I copied somebody else's Vim RC file, which is a configuration where you figure out all your plugins and settings. It was just overwhelming. So this time, I started from scratch, got some influence from from Jeffrey and some some good tutorials online, and I'm trying to go whole, whole hog for all of January and Vim. And Jeffrey, it looks like you're doing that too. I've seen your latest Lyricast. They've been all Vim. Are, are you going all in or wh- what's your situation with that? Yeah, I, I switched over completely about a month ago. I used Vim okay. years ago for, for, yeah. for a long time. And then uh, Sublime came out and that was sort of the uh, the new and shiny thing. So, so I switched to that um, for, for no real reason other than just it, it was new and shiny. I, I, I'm really bad about that. I get excited about new stuff and then I, I switch over. But um, no, once I started realizing Sublime... I don't know if it's dead or not, but the, the creator is completely MIA. Uh, that might just mean he, he pops up one day with Sublime 4, 
But uh, Sublime Text 3 isn't even out. That's still in like alpha or beta. So I don't know. Once you find out that the creator has possibly abandoned it, um, I don't know. I, I lose a lot of interest in it. It tarnishes it. It really does. Even even if it works fine, like just knowing that in the back of your mind, it, it bugs you. It, it really does. And we've talked about this. Like, Taylor, if you just suddenly decided you were done with Laravel, it would never happen. But if you did, yeah, it would kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't be so into Laravel anymore. Even if, like, the community would still continue it and it's not like anything's going to break at that point. It's still just knowing, like, oh, this is this is at the top. You know, it's never going to get better than this. So I, I switch back to Vim. Uh, it feels really good. Um, w- when people switch, there's lots of tools now. There's one called, like, Vim Awesome or Maximum Awesome. Anyways, they're basically all in one. So you install this, and it just sets up mm-hmm. everything for you. I originally thought that was pretty cool, but then I started realizing, like, the, if you're going to do Vim, you need to customize it exactly to what you want. And so if you just take somebody else's settings, uh, one, you're not going to memorize any of them. And two, like you're just not going to know what's there. Um, but if you instead kind of start from scratch, which is really weird, because if you if you load Vim for the first time, it's like a white box with no highlighting, with no indentation. It's just like the worst thing imaginable. But if you just do it incrementally where you're like, okay, I want this highlighting. I want indents to be this number of spaces. I want this to work. Um, It takes a long time. It takes about a week of configuration. But when you're done, uh, it's actually really, really nice. So I'm happy I switched back. It feels good. Well, I'm I'm not at at Jeffrey's level because he's been to the point in the past where he's fully productive there. Whereas I've never been fully productive there. But uh, you know, I did this with um I did this with PHP Storm a couple years ago. I said I'm going to go all hog in something I don't know for a month, and at the end of the month, I loved it. I you know I did this when I came back to Sublime Text from PHP Storm. I said I'm going to every time I'm frustrated with something in Sublime Text and say I wish I had that in the thing I used to have in PHP Storm. I'll figure out how to do it. I'm going to try and do that this month in Vim. And I, and I got this this advice from Jeffrey. He said, it's hard to get in, but he said, when, you, when you're irritated by something, stop and fix it rather than just being irritated with it. So I'm going to spend a month in Vim, have this be the time where I just decide for, for sure, can I make it happen? And every time I'm irritated by something, I will say, wait, how do I, you know, like my latest one right now is how do I import a namespace in PHP? Whatever it is, how do I There's fix There's a plugin that one, for that. Right. There you go. I'll send it there through you go. You. Yeah, I, nice. that's exactly what you do. Every time you hit a hurdle like, oh, I wish I could uh, browse files like command P and Sublime. Just stop yeah. and figure out how to do it. And you'll see there's a control P plugin. You just uh, pull that in in five seconds. And now you have that. Um, another one is like, it would be really cool if I just if I could quickly browse to a method without like opening up the file and then yeah. scrolling the page. If you know you want to go to a file like print reports or something there's a way to just type print reports and you instantly go there it's faster than anything um so basically every piece of functionality you could want is available you just have to pull it in so that's what i mean like the first week or two is kind of slow because you keep going back to your vmrc file over and over but uh once you're done i I think people would like it well i'm i'm hoping fingers crossed to be able to blog that but i I don't know if it's gonna be about out by the time this this episode's out i'm probably gonna blog it at the end of the month to say like after having worked through this, here's a story of each of the pieces that I kind of like have wanted to to learn. Um, Jeffrey, I know you may end up sharing some stuff too, but basically just like a, a month in, what's my experience of kind of like what things do I need to do to get Vim? Just sort of like what I did with Sublime Text. I did a blog post of making Sublime Text do the things I wish 
it had from PHP Storm. I'm going to do basically making Vim do the things I wish it had from Sublime Text and see where it takes us. So well, one thing that's hard about Vim is like people get kind of militant about it. Just whatever somebody likes, there's always a group that gets really militant about it. And I think with Vim, like just make it work for you. So for example, I use Mac Vim. I don't even use Terminal Vim because mm-hmm. I, it, it looks better. You know, it definitely looks better. If you type Command S, it'll save the file versus hitting. Um, colon w or or creating a mapping like comma w um just things like if you've been hitting command s to save for the last decade you don't need to change it it's fast so um yeah it's supposed to work for you you don't have to follow some rigid set of rules um whatever makes you faster is what you're trying to do there i like that i think that the mac vim makes it a much easier transition from sublime text just because there's little like mouse conveniences and command s conveniences type things that you don't have in, in uh, terminal vim so yeah like you can scroll with your mouse like you can't do that in terminal vim or if you're browsing files uh yeah. you know like sometimes it's, it's not all about efficiency sometimes you're just kind of thinking so sometimes i don't know you're just looking around your your uh project tree and it's like you don't need to be super fast. You're just kind of browsing around. It's nice to still use a cursor and click on a on a directory. So um, I don't feel bad about that stuff at all. I'm writing. I'm writing Sublime all the way down. Baby. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> this Sublime. Me and John, whoever John is, the Sublime guy. This guy's become like the Tupac of editors. He like comes <laughs> he in. He's like a legend. And then like it's even like the same rumors. He's like on an island by himself with all his money, and he like wanted to get away from everything. I don't care. I'm using Sublime until it, it's until it literally won't run on my Mac anymore. My MacBook 2020 edition or whatever. Guys, like everyone listening to this, Taylor is really annoying because he'll be like, okay, how do I get this set up? And so you'll give him the first steps and literally like within five minutes, he's already abandoned it. Yeah. Like it happened with Adam. He installs it two minutes later. Not true. Uninstalled. Not true. I love the things you're saying, but this is not entirely true. <laughs> no, this was true. And then I think you went back a second time and installed Adam again. I will have you know that I have Adam still on my machine. It is properly configured. If if I woke up tomorrow and Sublime does not run, Adam is ready to run. It has my color scheme set. It has my insane font padding set. It has linting set up. Now, PHP Storm is a different store because that's even more configuration options than Vim, to be honest. And I think I, I just got to take time with Vim if I'm ever going to give it a shot. But here's how I feel about Vim is like I'm always worried because like I feel like I'm pulling in I would have to pull in so many random plugins and like I would be worried like what if this plugin stops working what if that plugin stops working who maintains this does this conflict with that blah 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 is that not really an issue you would think it would be it's really not honestly yeah it's not much of an issue at all I don't think about it I know what you mean though something a lot of people bring up is like why am I going to configure Vim just so I can get back to where I was with um, Sublime or Atom and it's like, well, it does go beyond that. There, there is this concept of modes and Vim. So it's like almost, it's almost like you think of your editor like a language and how you interact with it. So once you can master that, I, I think Vim users are faster than anyone. But I, I would be the first one to admit the learning curve is so extreme, it may not be worth it. Um, it it's got to be a personality thing. Like if you're kind of, I think it's kind of fun, honestly, to, to memorize some of this stuff, but... If that's not your thing, then I would be happy to say it's just not worth it. Yeah, I mean, I remember my college professors who all were old school and used Vim and used to work for like NASA and stuff. And they would just be throwing code everywhere on the screen like really quickly. And I always thought that was really impressive when I was in college. And I was kind of that's how I learned the basics of Vim because I can use Vim to, you know, open files, save files, do basic stuff. But they were insane with it. 
if you've ever seen Scotty in the Star Trek movie where they <clears throat> where they go back into time and he tries to talk into the mouse and then they're like, oh, that that's not how you use it. And then they're like, oh, he's like, like there's a keyboard. And he starts just kind of blazing across the keyboard. And yes, I'm a geek. And everything's just flying around the screen. That's how I see like Vim users working. Like I've paired with some some like lifetime Vim people before. And I can't even follow what they're doing. It's so fast. So that's the thing. And I, I agree. Like Vim has a much, 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 much higher learning curve. It's not similar to like switching from Sublime Text to PHP Storm. It's like switching from Sublime Text to writing code on a whiteboard or something. It's just a, it's a completely different paradigm of like how you're approaching your code. So it's it's a big cost to do it, but but if you watch lifetime Vim users, they're just mind blowing. It's incredible how they work, but it takes a clearly a I while should, to get there. Okay, here's what I should do: I should learn Vim and get it right, and then I should document the whole process and sell it as a book on LeanPub. No, you need to brand it under Laravel, like a, a Laravel. Laravel installer. <laughs> yeah, Laravel. That's what I'm saying. Okay, hold on. I, I just nice. want to submit this for approval. November 27th, Taylor says, Uh-oh. how do you Uh-oh. jump to a method in Atom? And then we respond. And then two minutes later, Taylor says, already uninstalled Atom, slow. <laughs> so maybe you reinstalled it, friend, but you've been what date was that? on the podcast. November 27th. Yeah, I think what I happened is you uninstalled it. it, and then you reinstalled it. I just it. confirmed so, it. It is still on my burn. machine, and it is configured. Because you installed it again. Yeah, I did install it again. So if we could keep from lying Jeffrey's, on the podcast, Jeffrey's hard. Oh snap! Oh snap! <laughs> he was that whole time we were talking. He was yeah, searching he was through like, chat archives. He was like that scene. What is that? A is it Super Troopers or whatever? It's like enhance, enhance. He's like digging through his computer, yes. like digging oh, no, into the what history. Is that? The movie with uh, Will Smith. It's like the worst. You know those movies that just have the worst computer scenes. Yeah. yeah. There's one oh, yeah. in a uh, Enemy of the State with Will Smith where they're looking at like a camera camera footage from some clothing store and then all of a sudden they're like rotate 50 degrees zoom in enhance and then they're able to like read a sheet of paper that was completely out of the uh out of focus from the lens it's (laughs) completely ridiculous i feel like one of my goals in life is to maybe be half as cool as will smith though like eventually (laughs) he's like the coolest guy he is pretty cool not in independence day 2 though which i'm upset about. yeah that is kind of a complained about it he um they um and this is this is not a I guess it is a spoiler but it's really not because it's all over the web I guess they kill off his character for the new sequel because he's not in it and he was interviewed and he's like oh man I'm really upset to hear about that but he didn't agree to be in the movie so <laughs> I think the director was like well screw you you're dead yeah <laughs> I heard he has the biggest ego of anybody you like anybody in all of Hollywood he's a total diva it was really disappointing because I think it was really yeah, cool I don't want to be like him but anymore then, like. Yeah, I know. I was so disappointed. It's like kind of here. So when people told me he wasn't Independence Day 2, I was like, good, you, you jerk. <laughs> no, so. his son is kind of worse. I'm still not convinced his son, Jaden, if you guys have read some of his tweets, they're the weirdest thing you've ever seen. Yep. I'm not yep. uncon- I'm not convinced that he's not trolling everyone, in which case he's like the coolest kid ever. Yeah. But some of the stuff he he writes about is the weirdest stuff you've ever seen, where he acts like he's just... One with the universe. It's got to be hard. You have to, to go read it. It's got to be hard to grow up in that kind of environment where your dad is like, I, you know, pop movie icon. And yeah, I don't know. Well, not only that, but apparently like his dad says, well, I'm, I'm the most talented actor. Stuff like, like I'm the most talented actor and we're the most talented family in the planet. And they really believe it kind of stuff. Like, so being raised thinking that and like, and having at least some evidences to show that like. It's not entirely untrue, you know, whatever. It's kind of crazy, so. So is Will Smith a good rapper? Like, I, I don't necessarily listen to rap. Dude, I like Will his Smith music, is like but a it's... legend. 
Is he? I, I didn't so, know. Like, I know obviously he did some of the the early stuff with like let's, parents let's just don't understand. But is he? <laughs> yeah, is he a there. respected rapper in that community? I think he's a really respected pop rapper. But you have to understand when you're deep into yeah. rap, there are sort of t- people look at rappers two different ways. Like people don't even look at like Drake the same way they look at like Nas or uh, Jay Z because like there's people that are lyricists, like hardcore respected for their lyrics, and there's people that are respected for making good popular music in the rap genre. And I think Will Smith is respected for being a good music maker and good, like uh fun rap artist. But he's, I don't see people talk about like, is Will Smith on the same level as like, um you know, like uh notorious B I G or Tupac. We need, da- we yeah. need Dave yeah. Hicking to uh, jump into this. <laughs> I know to teach us something. He's going to, he's just shaking his head at us right now, but I, I agree. I think the same thing, like a, a legit, like hardcore rapper or rap fan would not look at Will Smith and be like, oh man, I wish I could rap like him one day. He's not in my top 10 lyricists, but nobody would look at him and be like, oh, he just got there, you know, because he was famous. Like he does make good, enjoyable party music that is rap. Like that's fun, exciting pop stuff. And, and you know, you might not like that genre, but you're not going to say he's doing a bad job at it. Done. (laughs) Done. Doc B. Shout out Doc (laughs) B's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah then we'll have doc on and he'll te- he'll teach us everything about so so dave hicking runs a he works with me at titan and he's a just a hip-hop head and he runs a podcast and i love it and i keep wanting to listen to it and I, even before he worked with me i've tried to listen to it because i want to learn more but they know so much that like it's sort of like listening to a football like a football geek podcast if you don't listen to football and they're like oh yeah well you know johnny back in 70 when he did the third triple bypass turn thing and they're referencing stuff that makes no sense because they have this it's the same thing they're like oh yeah well Nas is this and they'll like use like the one word reference to an album from 40 years ago that makes all this Meaning, and I'm like, I don't know a single word yeah. you just sent in that Dude, sense. I listen like, to their album. That's the only one I got. They go like way back, even into like record label politics, like um, you know, all of that stuff, analyzing entire situations and eras and stuff. I can't do it. I I love it as an idea, but every time I try to listen to it, I make it about two minutes in, and I'm like, I'm too stupid to follow along with this. I can't do it. All right. Well, it's good to talk to you guys as always. And uh, this is it for this episode of Laravel Podcast. We'll see you all later. Mm-hmm.